Welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a reference and cataloging librarian. And I'm Renata Sankin, a teen services librarian. And we are done discussing Susan Orlean's The Library Book, uh, which was Andover's 2021 community read. But this week, Renata is going to bring to you some read-alike suggestions. So if you are super sad that you're done reading The Library Book and you want more like it, we are here to help. And if you somehow read all of these and you still want more, you can always contact the reference desk for reader's advisory, book suggestions, Tell us what you like or what you're looking for, and we will be happy to find something that we have that you haven't read yet, but might like. So Renata, where do you want to start? Well, I think I would like to start actually with just a little bit of introduction, because sometimes I feel like patrons don't necessarily know what we mean when we say reader's advisory or read-alikes, or just sort of kind of the the library science of it all yeah and so when we say if you come and you say oh I really loved the library book and what are some other books like that I think there's a few different directions that that could go in and like maybe you want to learn more about the history of libraries or the history or maybe um the history of like arson and that kind of true crime investigation or maybe you like the part where she talks about you know, the books themselves in the library and you want to go off in that direction, that kind of like personal media criticism lens. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and especially in a book like this where there's so much going on, it, you know, right. There's so many assets that you might want to pursue. Yeah. And so sometimes it's easier if someone comes in and they're like, I really liked this, um, James Patterson, Alex Cross book. And I'm like, great news. There's (laughs) hundreds more James Patterson books I can get for you. Yeah. But in this, it does feel like there's some different directions it could go. And I remember, I really like to read this kind of like creative nonfiction or narrative nonfiction. And when I first discovered this sort of like very loosely defined genre in high school, I, it kind of blew my mind that this kind of book existed because up yeah. until that point, I was like, okay, there's like, the books that I read for fun in my own time, which are fiction. And then there's the ones I have to read for school that are like kind of boring. And it's just sort of like a dry facts textbook. And I was like, Oh wait, you can have stories that are true and that, you know, I'll learn about things that really happened or really interesting people, but also the author can have a little bit of a personality and they're a little bit fun to read. Yeah. And just realizing like, Oh my gosh. And so Susan Orlean's (laughs) Uh, book The Orchid Thief was one of the first um, books in this kind of genre that I read and I was like this is so cool yeah I want more books like this and then I found them (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I have not read The Orchid Thief but I don't know why I liked the library book I would probably enjoy it Um, somehow I just haven't gotten around to it yeah I like flowers so you know like (laughs) you like flowers but do you like crimes I mean, I don't like crimes, but I do like <laughs> true crime books, I'll admit. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy a good true crime every now and then, as long as it's, like, not too violent. <laughs> yeah, The Orchid Thief is really interesting, too, because I don't know if you've, have you seen the movie Adaptation? No, I haven't. It's a movie where they, they try to adapt The Orchid Thief into a movie, <laughs> and then they, it's really, it's a really interesting movie, because then they realize, like, this is actually hard to make, a, so it's a movie about the process of trying to make a movie of The right. Orchid Thief, 
huh. and it's it's really kind of weird metafiction. Yeah, it's, I've I really recommend the book and the movie both, but they're very different. Like if you read right. <laughs> The Orchid Thief, and you're like, I would love a movie that is exactly this book. You're you're not going to enjoy adaptation, but right. if you're along for a, a weird ride. <laughs> I usually am along for a weird ride and like I'm into metafiction so you know like that I won't say it's always fun it can be too much sometimes but like I enjoy that from time to time so maybe that'll be a little plan for I don't know if it keeps being rainy this month as it is today maybe that's gonna happen good rainy day pairing yeah um and then another Susan Orlean book that I really enjoyed is uh the bullfighter checks her makeup which amazing title because I I is as we know the Los Angeles Public Library had the largest collection right um of, of materials and the minor checks are make it's a collection of essays and like shorter um like news and magazine stories that mm-hmm. she'd written and one of them is about a female bullfighter but if because what I like the most about Susan Orleans writing I think is the way that she is such a empathetic narrate and you saw that in the in the library book too where every librarian every random person she talks to she finds something really interesting to say about them or some sort of interesting detail about their lives and so the bullfighter checks her makeup has a lot of that where you just get to meet a lot of sort of random interesting figures yeah nice that sounds fun and almost it reminds me a little bit of maybe like even Malcolm Gladwell I think he's a little bit less interested in the people um in my recollection but like kind of the same he has a book of essays in addition to like his full book length stuff yeah his pop psychology yeah 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 um but yeah I feel like there's a sort of warmth there too yeah in addition to just like a wide-ranging curiosity but that sounds fun if it's on audio I'll check it out I almost never read nonfiction. usually I listen but Mm. Which sometimes limits my range, especially if it's older stuff. It's less likely to have been released as an audiobook. Yeah, I I didn't check the date. The Bullfighter Checks Her Makeup, I definitely read at least 10 years ago. So it's definitely, an, and I'm not sure how long yeah. before I read it that it came out. Right. But I, I imagine it still holds up because yeah, it's not, I mean, you know. It sounds timeless, really. Yeah, it's not like a textbook where you're like, oh, this bullfighter information is out of date because that's right. not really the point of it. Right. <laughs> no no I think if you need to learn about bullfighting it's probably the wrong book for you mm-hmm. we yeah, maybe you- have something on how to do that I kind of doubt it actually but yeah we could get something yes we could definitely get it for you from interlibrary loan yes. if you need to know how to do bullfighting yes for some reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure if that's allowed in the U.S. I mean bullfighting books about it are definitely allowed but yeah, I mean, I know we have rodeos. Oh, that's that, true. Yeah, where's I, where's the line? Where's the legal distinction between like rodeo bull breaking and bullfighting? Right. I don't know. I have been to a rodeo once, but I was like six, so my memories are pretty fuzzy. I don't think I was super into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a question for maybe a future podcast. Yes. Is yes. If we'll move into the how to bullfighting yeah. and like the legalities of bullfighting. Yeah. If anyone listening wants to know about that, by all means, email us, call us, <laughs> let us know, uh, and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Possibly a future episode. Um, but anyway, so 
those are two good suggestions for obviously if you like the library book because of Susan Orlean, other books by her that you could read. What about some of the other facets of the book? Like what would you recommend for someone who like, you know, who really likes the true crime aspect? Yeah, this is, so this is actually for me, my weakest area, but also one where I think there is a lot of content because I know true crime is really popular Yeah, and I'm myself too squeamish for almost (laughs) all of it. (laughs) That's fair. But I do have a couple of recommendations. One, as I am a teen services librarian, and I always have to emphasize teen services because when I just say I'm a teen librarian, people are like, oh, are you like a high school student who's volunteer? Like, Less and less people who are looking at me think I'm an actual high schooler, but when people just hear teen librarian, a good percentage of people think that that means a teenager who is a librarian as opposed to a librarian who works with teenagers. Yeah, which I mean, I guess understandable, but like, I don't know, children's librarians are not children. No one mistakes them for children. Correct. (laughs) Um. Anyway, um, yeah. so this is a true crime book that was, it's published for teens. And so okay. it's a little maybe less gruesome than yeah. some of the adult ones, but it is still, it's not graphic, but it is kind of horrifying to think about. Right. And uh, it's called The 57 Bus, colon, mm-hmm. A True Story of Two Teenagers and the Crime That Changed Their Lives by Dashka Slater. Oh, wow. And, you know, actually much like the library book, there's a fire at the core of this okay um but this is the story um it takes place in oakland california Mm -hmm. and it's about two teens who rode i bet you can guess what bus they rode probably the 57 bus the 57 bus (laughs) and so this reminded me of library book in that they um the author talks about the route that the 57 bus Mm -hmm. takes and how it goes through lower and higher income neighborhoods and just kind of the variety of people who would ride this bus every day. And then after school one day, um, there's a black teenage boy and a genderqueer teenager Mm -hmm. who was wearing a signed male at birth, but wearing a skirt, yeah, like a tool skirt. I think I remember hearing about this like as a news story. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the teenage boy lit the skirt on fire. Yeah. And thought in his kind of underdeveloped teenage brain, like, this will be a funny little joke. They'll wake up and be like, oh, it's just, you know, and didn't realize that tool is so flammable that the whole thing went up and and the victim of the crime was very badly burned. Yeah. And then because the victim was was transgender or right. genderqueer, it was um, charged as a hate crime, which is right. charged much more seriously than than what it seemed like it really was, which was right. kind of like a teenage prank that he really didn't think would right. would be so bad. Right. And so the way it's written, it it interviews you know not just the teens involved, but their mm-hmm. parents and teachers and other people in the community right. and just there's so many facets of the story that are so interesting yeah. and it is a story where there's you do you feel bad for everyone involved like it's right. written with just a lot of empathy yeah and yeah, it does sound like a great read alike for this yeah uh, also in california even also in california yeah exactly just move up the coast a little bit get yep. on the bus and yep. here you are in the bus there you go mm-hmm. yeah that yeah i definitely remember hearing the news story and i think i also remember what you were saying at the time that like I mean, obviously, it's, it's like, don't set people's skirts on fire, even as a prank. 
Like, exactly. obviously that's a terrible idea. <laughs> like, don't do that. But also like, right, was not intended to be, like if you've never lit a piece of fabric on fire before, you don't know how fast it's going to go up, especially, yeah, like tool versus something like, I don't know, polyester, which I'm guessing would burn slower. Maybe not. It would melt, I think. I think I it will just melt. But now, I see, mean, still, don't set anybody on nah, fire is a yeah. great moral of the story. Right. Like, but don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, like, was, I mean, yeah, was not what it was it intended to be. <laughs> I mean, exactly. not that what it was intended to be was great, but like, Ex- yes, exactly. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. I've definitely seen copies on the shelf here. Was it maybe summer reading? A it was um, the um, now I don't remember the name of it. There's a parent. There's an end of her parents group. Mm. Oh, it's called Parent to Parent. That's it. Yeah, Parent to Parent does an annual book club like reading, and so that they picked the fifty-seven bus one year. Okay, so we do have some extra copies for them. Right. Yeah, that would explain why I saw, I mean, not like a huge amount, like maybe three copies on the shelf in nonfiction. So nice. Uh, You know, I also, I don't do a lot of true crime either. I don't go in for the goriness, but, um, but if you like sort of literary related crimes, an audio book that I listened to, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago was called Furious Hours by Casey Sepp. And it is, um, it was about Harper Lee and she did not commit a crime, but she was covering a, like a courtroom drama, basically. She was covering, uh, you know, sort of like To Kill a Mockingbird come to life, but with her as a reporter. Um, and it was, it was this, the, it was clear that a murder had happened. A bunch of people saw this murder happen, but it was a question of like, was it self-defense or like, you know, it, how is it gonna be prosecuted? And so it was mostly, it was mostly that story, but it was sort of like, you know, the courtroom drama that Harper Lee was covering and like how that affected her literary career interspersed with kind of the backstory of the crime. And of course there wasn't just that one crime. There were multiple crimes that had kind of led up to it. And, uh, you know, this was happening in Alabama in, I think mostly the fifties. So, um, you know, there were obviously a lot of, racial elements to the crimes that were happening and that would maybe also be something that if you like the true crime and you want specifically a literary like connection um that might also that might also be good and not super gory like not written for teens but I feel like you know they describe what happened but it wasn't uh it wasn't too much at least for me your mileage may vary (laughs) but um Another one that I want to quickly recommend, because I know we have other categories to move to, and well, there's a full list that we'll post on our website somewhere. Yeah, I think it'll be in the show notes, or if you go to nhl.org slash podcast, we'll link to it there. Beautiful. Um, Yes, for this episode. But yeah, what else do you have for true crime? Yes. So there's a book that came out a few years ago called Savage Appetites, colon, Four True Stories of Women, Crime, and Obsession by Rachel Monroe that I really enjoyed as someone who, like I said, I don't go for a lot of true crime myself, but I have been fascinated by how culturally dominant it's become over the last few years. And that's sort of what Rachel Monroe is up to here. And so it's it's something in between an essay collection and and a a full-length book where it's 
as as the title implies, it's four true stories. So right. each it's a little bit longer than an essay, but it's broken up where she follows four different stories, and including herself, she's also as she describes it, trying to make sense of true crime. And so she visits like a true crime convention where people who are real, you, you know, like a comic con- comic convention, except for it's for people oh. who are really into true crime. Okay. And just reading about that experience yeah. was maybe my favorite part of it, honestly, because I was like, that's such a wild thing to do. Yeah. With your, but <laughs> but again, like like Susan Orlean, like, like most good writers, she writes with not from a place of judgment, but from a right. place of really understanding what this is bringing to people's lives. And especially true crime has been so popular with women right. who it tends to be, maybe they already have been the victim of a sexual assault mm-hmm. or they know someone who has, or just they're aware that they might be a potential victim more than right. the average man might be yeah. aware of that fact. Um, even though obviously crimes also happen to men, but right. just sort of the way that becoming obsessed with true crime can be a way to develop a sense of safety was sure. really interesting. Yeah. I could see that. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but that's really interesting. Yeah. So if, you know, if you don't necessarily like a lot of true crime, but you want to understand why other people like it, or maybe yeah. if you do like it and you want to explore that a little bit, I'd really like that one. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really interesting. Um, and yeah, definitely a good recommendation for this. I feel like that also kind of gets a little bit into the like cultural analysis part that is happening a little bit here. So I don't know if you want to talk about some of those next, or I know would you love to. On that front. Excellent. Would love to. Um, so, like we mentioned before, one part of of the library book is a little bit talking about some of the specific books or what draws people specifically into the library. And so I put together a few books that are um, not always about books, but somehow about the importance of books or other media in the author's Mm -hmm. um, life. And my top recommendation that I just loved is a book called Saigon, which is like S-I-G-H comma G-O-N-E not like the city, but also nice. like the city because yeah. the full title is Saigon, a misfits memoir of great books, punk rock, and the fight to fit in by Phuc Tran, whose family immigrated to the U.S. from Vietnam. So it's yeah. it's a wordplay. <laughs> and he is such a great writer. And, and the way that he writes about his childhood, and it really was like he was his family was placed as refugees in this mm-hmm. hugely majority white town and as the title says he had to fight to fit in right he had to fight to learn english all of this and at some point he he finds at like a yard sale this book that was from the 60s which he was growing up in the 70s yeah. and 80s so even then it was a little bit older of a book and it was just this like reader's guide and it was like a hundred books that you have to read before you die that some like random white man picked in the 60s and so Fook as a teen is like yeah I'm gonna do this I'm gonna read all these like great works and so it it starts with like you know Greek classics and moves up into at least the early 20th century and he talks about how you know English was a second language and some of these stories were really harder for him to read 
but he also writes so eloquently and so beautifully about kind of the universal Mm -hmm. truths that he did learn from these great books, even, even while not being able to relate to them. And I think it's, it's such an interesting question of like, what is the canon, you know, and do we need to be reading all the same hundred books by dead white men, or can we read this new one by an Asian American man instead? Yeah. You know, Uh, that, that is funny. Uh, That's also one that's been on my radar. He is an alum of the same college that I am for undergrad. Oh, cool. Yeah. Obviously he was there well before I was, Mm -hmm. I have never met him, but, um, but especially when you put it that way about the classics. So um, at that school, a requirement for all first years is two semesters, you know, one class each semester of what they call first year seminar, which is like the classics. <laughs> and like, what are the classics of like Western literature and the Western canon? And like, why these ones? And it's not always the same. Periodically, they change them up. I assume this has been going on a long time. Maybe it wasn't a thing when he was there, but um, but I would suspect maybe it was because like, it sounds like the sort of questions that we spent freshman year asking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if nothing else, the book mostly is about his high school years, but yeah. he talks about how like realizing he needs to get a college scholarship if he wants to get out of this kind of small town that he feels right. trapped in. And so of course he did get the scholarship. Yeah. So um. So if that's, if this love of the classics is something that that school yeah. values, I'm sure his college essay would have really, really blown them yeah. away based on this. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. No, I'd like to, I'd like to read it. I actually, I cataloged that one when we got it here new and I was like very tempted to just dive into it. And it's like, eh, no, that's not, unfortunately we don't actually get paid to sit and read, which <laughs> oh, is a bummer. Alas. Yeah. I'm not actually a teenager and I don't actually get paid to read. No. Just, what am I here for? <laughs> I I really couldn't say (laughs) so many misconceptions blown away right now (laughs) I was pretty sure you were a teenager who sat here yeah I feel I feel a little bit uh jaded (laughs) we're we're all learning here we are yeah it's true but anyway that that sounds like a great suggestion with Mm -hmm. yeah sort of books plus cultural criticism plus probably some of the like wide-rangingness I don't think that's a word but we're gonna go with it some of the wide-rangingness yeah the the scope of it yeah because he talks about I didn't really talk as much about the middle part of the title which is punk rock but he also got uh involved with kind of the local punk scene and which you wouldn't necessarily automatically think that someone who loves the great works of literature would also love punk rock um I mean, I would, cause I've read this book now, yeah. <laughs> but the general, you might not think so. Right. And he really does talk about how great his, the punk community was. And even though they were mostly white kids also, since he didn't really have any Asian American peers, he right. had kind of his punk rock family and the way yeah. that they looked out for him in school. It's, it's sweet. Yeah. That it. sounds really nice. I wonder if that's on audio. I would sit down and read that as a book if it isn't though. Yeah. I do have a fondness for biographies and memoirs. So anyway, that one sounds great. Were there any others that you wanted to highlight for like cultural criticism or? Yes. One that it's pretty new. I think it just came out last month and I, you know, I'd been on the wait list for it and I snapped it up right away because I love this author who's um, Hanif Abdurraqib. Oh, yes. I think I cataloged that also. (laughs) 
Um, so his latest one is called A Little Devil in America, colon, mm-hmm. notes in praise of Black performance. And he is just such a, he's also a poet. And I mm-hmm. don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily someone who will sit down and just read a book of poetry, yeah. but I do love, as discussed, you know, essays and personal nonfiction. Yeah. And he also has written some essay collections, but you can tell he's a poet and his writing is so precise and yeah. so beautiful. And just his, the first book I read of his was, um, well, I'm blanking on the title of it, but it was an essay collection of music criticism specifically. And I picked it yeah. up and I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll skim this because some of these things that he's writing about, I've never heard of this band right. or, and I didn't necessarily think I would enjoy reading music criticism of bands I hadn't heard of, but I did just because he's such a good writer. And yeah. a lot of us like, oh, now I have to look up this album. Now I have to do. And that's the same thing that happened with A Little Devil in America, where right some of the things he's writing about it's movies or let me let the police pass yeah Mm -hmm. um so notes and praise of black performance is such a broad-ranging title and it the book really does go from kind of the history of minstrels and blackface in america to more recent artists but also like josephine baker but also things like dancing at black family reunions mm-hmm. and it's it's just a big variety of topics but yeah. because his writing is so beautiful and engaging I'm like I'll read whatever you want to talk about let me read Definitely. it yeah that sounds fascinating yeah it's it's really great I recommend yeah. all of his stuff yeah is he also a musician I'm not sure if he is I feel, I feel like I have that idea, but it might just be because I also cataloged the book about music criticism <laughs> that he wrote. Like, like he definitely is a music journalist. Yeah. And I may have just decided that like, well, if you write about music, you must also be a musician, which makes no sense now yeah. that I say it. His Wikipedia but. says he is an American poet, essayist, and cultural critic. Okay, probably um. not a musician then. Oh, They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us is the title of the first book of his that I read. Okay. Nice. Did he also write one on A Tribe Called Quest? Yep. Yeah, Go Ahead in the Rain, Yeah. Notes on A Tribe Called Quest, which again, I was like, I don't really um, know the music of A Tribe Called no. Quest. Like, do I want to read a whole book about them? And I was like, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I mean, yeah, that's always great when you can find a writer whose writing is just so compelling that you don't care what the subject is. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, not, and then I don't care when I start reading and then afterwards I do care. Yeah. Like really, I mean, really mind opening for me. Yeah. That is the sign of a good writer. So... Because I also looked at that and I'm like, yeah, like, I don't know this band. I don't feel compelled to read this, but now I'm kind of interested in going back and reconsidering. Yeah, it was, um, it was long listed for the National Book Award for Nonfiction. Yep. And it did like a bunch of publications put it on their best of the year list. Right. Nice. Definitely worth checking out. Yes. Let's see. What other categories did you have? All right. So... I also included um, a category of read-alikes for just sort of history in general. Yep. Yeah, a lot of the library book is history, California yeah. history, library history. 
Yeah. yeah. So what would you recommend for that? Well, I this I have a pretty long list, and again, yeah. we'll put that online. So now I'm choosing which I most want to talk right. about. <laughs> A hard joy. I know. I do want to give a little shout out to Sarah Vowell, who's an author who was one of the first, um, you know, pop history, personal Mm -hmm. memoir writers that I got into. And my favorite book of hers is still The Partly Cloudy Patriot, which is pretty old at this point. (laughs) Um, Oh, that sounds amazing. She at some point made a transition from being sort of an essayist. And she, I first heard of her in and this American life on NPR. And so a lot of her earlier essays are things that either were written first for this American life or, and then adapted into it or, um, or she wrote them and then put them on the radio. But a lot of them are sort of shorter pieces. And then at some point in her career, she moved into writing longer historical works that are more on a single topic. Yeah, I read one of her books recently, The Wordy Shipmates about, uh, about the pilgrims. It was fantastic. Yeah, that would probably be a good, you know, local history for yeah. our, our Massachusetts and Massachusetts. Baysaders? Baysaders. Yeah, I'm I'm not from <laughs> here, so I don't know. I don't know what you guys call yourselves. <laughs> I came from here and I also don't really know an answer to that. But Baysaders sounds a little more elegant. Massachusetts is hard to work with. Baysaders does make me think of Saved by the Bell, but they're mm. Baysiders, and that's yeah. just my brain being broken. <laughs> I mean, and not the worst association. It's true. That <laughs> sounds pretty cool. I could live with that. Um, so, so anyway, so the Partly Cloudy Patriot, that's yeah. just my personal favorite. It's an essay collection of kind of historical tourism in yeah. the U.S., and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that um, sounds fun. Um, a slightly more recent one that I would recommend, especially if you liked kind of the architecture parts mm. of of the library book would be The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, which is okay. it's a personal history of her family's uh, yellow house that they owned in yeah. uh, in New Orleans and just the history of how um how long they've owned they've owned the house for over a hundred years which is a long time for a family to own a yeah. house especially in um uh, new orleans or no i'm sorry i'm i, I they haven't owned it for a hundred years but the family's history is a hundred years worth of being okay. in new orleans and the, the yeah. house itself is from 1961 which is still pretty old for especially yeah. for new orleans um, so anyway, but it talks about like where they lived before that and yeah. how they had to redo the house, especially with um, not just Katrina, but other damage, right. uh, you know, because of New Orleans. We all we all know New Orleans yep. has uh, a lot of hurricanes and such, yes. but it's a really interesting like hyper local history of just her family and then also mm-hmm. a history of New Orleans and, yeah. you know, some other kind of race in America and, and right. culture right it's just because because she is is from there and has so much history it's yeah. it's a really interesting perspective and yeah that's exactly the kind of history that I like where you're not writing a textbook and pretending like you're some sort of right. neutral figure like she's in it her family's right. in it and it's really beautifully written um it was also it was a national book award yep. winner it's it's been in a lot of best lists, blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah. That sounds great. New Orleans is a fun city. Like that's an interesting place to read about. Um, 
I remember, I remember at one point in my life, I was on a road trip with a friend who was from Los Angeles. She'd grown up in mm-hmm. Los Angeles and we got to New Orleans and she, even she was a little bit shocked at like, <laughs> sort of like, you know, the wildness of New Orleans, <laughs> like the party culture. I was like, you're from, like, you're legitimately from Los Angeles, like not from the suburbs, uh, like from Los Angeles. And like, you're shocked at New Orleans. This is eye opening. <laughs> yeah. But that sounds, that sounds really great. I feel like there's also a lot of like history of a home books. And those are, those are usually interesting. I think because they are so specific um, mm-hmm. and like personal. Yeah. Sounds so like I'll, I'll just focus on those two, but yeah. there's obviously a lot of yeah. history books out there. <laughs> Definitely. I mean that, that one specifically at uh, the yellow, the yellow house, is it? The yellow house. Yeah. Yeah. That also sounds like something that would appeal to people who enjoy uh, biography like biography or memoir because it is so personal yes yeah definitely so let's see what else do you have on your list all right so then um the last collect the last category of read-alikes that I picked um was just essay collections which Mm -hmm. the library book isn't but I love essay collections and I just wanted to talk about them (laughs) and you know, as I mentioned earlier, Susan, Susan Orlean has written essay collections right. also. And in some ways, I think the way that the library book is structured, it is almost like an essay collection, even though it is yeah. one big overarching narrative. She's kind of going in and out of different right. pieces of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and for essays. Yeah. And so, like I mentioned, when I, when I was in high school, was when I first really learned like, oh, you can, you can have nonfiction books that are like, fun and interesting (laughs) and for me definitely one of the first authors in this category that I discovered was of course David Sedaris who I already I already mentioned this American life yeah and at this point I think he's pretty famous and pretty well known and you probably like you know people probably have heard of him but just in case you haven't if you're just looking for I mean, he's so funny. He's such a funny writer, but also occasionally will just sort of like turn around and just knife you in the heart. And you're like, ah, I thought we were having a good time. (laughs) You know, he, he just is such a sharp observer, both of things that are funny, but also of, you know, kind of family tragedies or national tragedies. Like, yeah, he'll get you. Yeah, he will. I love David Sedaris. And yeah, I feel like listening to his, I think still his most recent Calypso. So good. And like, laughing out loud but there were also parts that yeah it really is like a knife to the heart um yeah. like in a good way and yeah exactly in a good way um, um yeah, yeah so I'd put Calypso on here because it that is his most recent yeah. one yeah his stuff is great and if you're into audiobooks like he reads his own and yes. you know he's been on this American Light like he's he's very funny at performing yeah. his own work yeah, no, I love, I, I have read his stuff, but I've also listened to a lot of it because he just does do such a good job reading it. Um, actually, on that note, briefly, I'm listening to an audiobook now by Jenny Lawson. It's her newest. Mm. Um, and I, you know, as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, she actually reminds me of David Sedaris a little bit, mostly in that it's like the sort of personal essays that are very funny, but that can also take a turn toward the more serious. Um her, of course, like, could I remember the title of what I'm listening to right now? What I listened to three hours ago on my way to work? No, but I have it on my phone and it's called Broken in the Best Possible Way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you like David Sedaris and has done all his stuff and want more, she is someone that I would definitely suggest. It's only her third book. There's not a lot out there, but like, 
the other two are also great. Yeah. Well, and she got her start and she still is a blogger. So if you yeah. don't know the name Jenny Lawson, but maybe you've heard of the blog S. Yes. That's, that's who that is. Yes. Also worth checking out. Yeah. Um, but what else do you have for us in essays? Um, okay. There's one that I haven't read yet because it's mm-hmm. just coming out, but I wanted to put something new on here in case you're yeah. like, oh, I already read David's like, if you're out here being like an essay collection hipster, I'm like, okay, yeah. well, <laughs> how about Johnny's like, have you read goodbye again by Johnny son? Probably not. Cause it just came out. I'll get you. Yeah. I haven't um, even heard of that one. So Johnny's son is someone who his first book was, um, it was like, everyone's an alien when you're an alien too. Mm, and he's someone who, who liked the blog. It's got his start and still is very active mm-hmm. online and on Twitter. And he, um, the alien book was more cartoons. Like he does Mm -hmm. these little cartoons of an alien, um, kind of, you know, discovering earth culture and they're very like cute and funny, but also sometimes very heart rending. And it's not the Nathan Pyle strange planet ones. It's a different alien one. You would, you would definitely recognize Johnny son's aliens. If you saw them, they're very cute and roundy and just just very cute um but so good goodbye again is not the alien stuff um it's they are personal essays about kind of from what I understand because I haven't read it but I read some previews just about like his life as uh you know an Asian American or Canadian Canadian Asian yeah he 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 um he lives around here because he's um a student at MIT sure he was get, or maybe he, I didn't fully fact check this. He was <laughs> getting his PhD at MIT, but with okay. the pandemic, I'm not sure if he still right. is here or if he went back to Canada. That makes sense. But, um, yeah, they're just, they're, he is, a, he's a funny and heartwarming writer and he has a really distinctive voice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. But well, then before we before we wrap it up, if you like the library book because you like reading about libraries, uh, there are lots of books about libraries out there. Lots and lots of them. I think, you know, it's funny. I feel like I was more inclined to read books about libraries before I started working in one. <laughs> but uh, I think so I think the most recent library related thing that I've read is The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu uh, by Joshua Hammer. And that one is not new at this point. I think it came out in like 2015, give or take, but yeah. I listened to that on audio. And that was a really interesting story about um, about people, residents of Timbuktu, led by one man who was an archivist, who were, uh, who saved, I think something like 300,000 plus manuscripts, um, like 15th century manuscripts from the um, from the sort of radical Islamist insurgents who were occupying Mali, who were occupying Timbuktu um, in Mali, and not a part of the world I really know anything about, but it was a fascinating story of a very different type of library or archive work from what I do, which is maybe why I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it's not the everyday life I'm living. So that, you know, and of course, you know, you get action and adventure as well, because they're smuggling books, um, yeah. or, you know, manuscripts, but that was really interesting and sort of, yeah, shine some light on librarianship in the world that has almost nothing to do with what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, 
I, I've heard about that book for sure, but I yeah. haven't read it yet, but that sounds interesting. Yeah, it was it was well told. The author is a, a journalist for Newsweek, I think, or was at the time. And so covering the region for that publication sort of is how he got started on this story um, sure. and then was able to piece it together into, into a full-length book. Um, I feel like for me, the other classic in the world of like books about libraries is called This Book is Overdue how librarians and librarians can save us all by Marilyn Johnson. So, mm. I mean, you know, the bias, that's is a, right that's a bold title. claim. Yeah, it is. A, it is a bold claim. <laughs> I'm not sure I would go that far. Um, and it, I'm, it, I'm not a teenager and I don't get paid to work all yeah. day, but I am going to save the world. Maybe. Let's, yeah. Like it could I'll happen put it on my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> Circle it. Um, yeah. You know, and that one I think was written in like 2010, give or take. Mm. So definitely a little bit outdated now in terms of like technology that it's talking about but um, I, I was gonna say even the the term cyberarian yeah, d- no does date that. it a little yeah. bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one does that anymore um but we do have both of them on the shelf here so you know that's a perk you could come in like today and find them although not right now because I have them up here with me so you won't <laughs> find them if you come in <laughs> although by the time you're hearing this they'll be back on the shelf I can assure yeah, you you'll be that. in the future yeah and if they're not we can get them from another library they're <laughs> widely held um but yeah I feel like this book is overdue is something that I read after I was done with college and before I decided to become a librarian and while mm. I was kind of like thinking about what I maybe wanted to do and was like probably something that nudged me in this direction um and it was just you know I mean obviously it was more cutting edge at the time that I was reading it It was pretty new when I read it but um but it's it's kind of another interesting look at like what are some of the multifaceted things that librarians actually do um you know especially if you don't work in a library it's like a little a little peek inside um or you know yeah like an episode of dirty jobs except it's not that a job <laughs> yeah usually, usually. sometimes Pre- pre-pandemic yeah sometimes it could qualify as a dirty job mm-hmm. but luckily we have millions yeah. on staff here <laughs> we're lucky not all libraries do so like to give a shout out to our custodial team they are excellent yeah that's true they are um and really we could not function without them <laughs> so i think that wraps up all of the recommendations that I wanted to highlight. And uh, you've certainly given us a bunch of good ones to go on as well. And we will put the full list. Like I said, we will post that in the show notes and on the website at mhl.org slash podcast, um, which is also where you can watch videos of these podcasts or listen to the recordings. You can listen to recordings uh, or you can listen to episodes in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Um, or on the website. And we hope that you'll join us again next time. Thanks, Renata. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye. Bye.